0: What Makes Leaders Tick? In the Arena podcast delves into the inner workings and personal dynamics of leadership. We'll shine a light on the life-shaping experiences and perspectives of leaders who have navigated diversity and moved their organizations and themselves forward. Defining moments, lessons learned, and points of inspiration provide a roadmap for these conversations of a lifetime. Well, welcome, everyone. Glad you joined us. And we have a great uh, guest today. Uh, Tim Selgo is sitting across from me. And Let me give you a little background on my friend, Tim. Tim is the assistant VP at Mammoth Sports Consulting. In this role, Tim draws upon his vast leadership experience to help college athletic directors and senior level administration build and maintain successful programs. Prior to Mammoth, Tim was the highly successful director of athletics at Grand Valley State University. During his 20 years at Grand Valley, Tim oversaw an athletic program that won 19 Division II national championships, 101 regional championships, and 170 conference championships. Grand Valley was also perennial winners of the Learfield Sports Director Cup, which signifies a top athletic program at the NCAA Division II level, and the President's Cup, which goes to the top athletic department in the Great Lakes Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. Leading up to his two decades at Grand Valley, Tim was the Associate Athletic Director for eight years at the University of Toledo. Before going into administration, he served as an assistant basketball coach at the University of Toledo under Hall of Fame coach Bob Nichols. He was also the head coach for the UT Women's Basketball Program for three years. Tim earned his bachelor's degree in secondary education and master's degree in educational leadership from the University of Toledo. During his undergrad tenure, Tim was a standout basketball player. In addition to leading the Toledo Rockets to two conference championships and two trips to the NCAA tourney, he earned Mid-American Conference all academic team honors three years in a row. Back to his athletic career, athletic director career, Tim served in national leadership roles as the president of the National Athletic Directors Association and the chair of the NCAA Management Council. He is a highly sought-after speaker. He has given over 300 speeches and presentations about leadership, teamwork, and achieving peak performance. And if that's not enough, he has authored three books that highlight leadership and life themes. Those three books, Anchor Up, Competitive Greatness, The Grand Valley Way, Make One Play, Impact Your Success, and the third one, Moms and Dads Eat Brown Bananas. Tim has received numerous accolades, including being named the D2 National Athletic Director of the Year three times. And he's inducted into three Hall of Fames, the National Association of Collegiate Director of Athletics, Grand Rapids Sports Hall of Fame and the University of Toledo Athletic Hall of Fame. Tim, it's great to be across from you.
1: Awesome, Brad. Thanks for having me. And full disclosure, uh, for our listening audience, you know, you forgot one thing in there, and it was forty-three years ago you and I were roommates at the University of Toledo, uh, uh the men's basketball program where we went on road trips. So yes. I was a senior, you were a freshman, and uh uh, we had many many wonderful discussions during those times that i've forgotten longer ago
0: about but I, all i know is that was the beginning of a great friendship between us so i agree tim and i think uh, as a as a as a senior they put me as a green freshman they needed <laughs> they knew i needed coaching up and they they put me with a great mentor and yes those are great experiences and some of that's going to be woven through our conversation I'm sure i'm, I'm yeah. sure so um you've given The the 300 talks, and I know internally at Grand Valley and even what you're doing now with me, oftentimes when you're speaking in the group, because you came from a family of educators, Mm -hmm. you started as a math teacher, Springfield High School, you bring up somewhere in your talk this idea of you ask the audience, think about the great teachers in your life. Think about that one teacher that had the biggest impact. And then you talk about the characteristics what What are you trying to get the audience yeah to think about
1: well i teaching you know I think is the greatest profession and and it doesn't i think today we're not putting the value on it that we should uh throughout our society are we're, we're just not giving teachers i think they're they're due and credit because we've all been influenced by it uh my children, my grandchildren. And it's so important. As you mentioned, I come from a family of educators. My father was a great teacher, a history and geography teacher back in the day. Uh, and he was a great uh, high school, successful high school basketball coach. And he taught us baseball through the years. And As I get older and as I try to teach my grandchildren, I realize, man, my dad was really good. He could really teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, both my brothers were educators, uh, had careers in education. And so it's it's in our DNA but what I'm trying to get across with the people that I'm uh, working with, and for me, it's normally athletics coaches, but it, sometimes I get, I, I transcend the athletics yeah. arena You've and, and speak to others. You've done business, civic. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but what I'm trying to get across the point is, in my opinion, the best leaders out there are great teachers, regardless of profession. Mm. The accountant that can really explain in-depth accounting details to his or her clients and keep it simple enough and explain it to them that they can understand it, that's a great teacher. The lawyer, we have a good friend, Mike Spiros, twitter Mike is a, is a phenomenal career as a lawyer because he can really teach. Uh, Mike can explain those legalese stuff yeah. in terms of the rest of us. can. And I think that's teaching, being able to explain what you need to get done such that the recipient understands. You haven't taught until they have learned. That's a John Wooden phrase. You haven't taught until they've learned. So I think that's so important. So what I do is I tell my audiences, think of the best teacher you ever had in your life. And that could be a classroom teacher, a coach, a parent, a, a, a spiritual leader, uh, just a, a, a uncle in the neighborhood, whatever it might be. Who was the best teacher in your life? And I tell them, I'll just take 10 seconds and i want you to describe the characteristic or characteristics that are about this person caused you to think of them as the best teacher and i'll get answers like well uh, uh, he was very enthusiastic uh she really cared about me beyond the team or classroom uh they were uh held me accountable they worked very hard Great role models. She was an inspiration. He motivated. Uh, He really knew his stuff. That's important. When you're trying to teach something, you know, there's a lot to know about people and relationships, but you got to know your stuff.
0: Does your audience connect with that? Absolutely. That conversation.
1: And when they give me these answers, I'm putting them on the board. And when we're all done, we have about a dozen things point to it, and I said, if you want to be a good coach, you want to be a good leader, be that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Work at doing those things. And to me, that resonates because my the best leaders in my life, the people that are most influential in my life, could really teach. And, mm-hmm. and they taught me so many things. I'm very grateful.
0: For. Who's, uh, this is the day of K-12, during your K-12 career, go back to your yeah. Pettisville day, what teacher, coach, person, had the biggest impact.
1: After. Sure. Well, I, I would have to say my dad, and I, you know, obviously I'm prejudiced about uh, because when it came to sports, man, he could really teach, and and, and life lessons and things. You know, I I've got uh, five grandchildren now, all boys. Grandpa's having a blast. Grandma, poor Grandma, doesn't have a little girl who go shopping. They're fourteen, twelve, eight, seven, and five, and they're involved in everything. And as I'm teaching this, it's it I become conscious. That's my dad. My dad taught this stuff. So well, long-lasting, my dad. But although uh, the classroom teacher I had was Steve Brannon. He was our math teacher at our school, Pettisville, uh, Ohio.
0: How big a high uh, school?
1: Well, uh, the community is about 400 people. Yeah. At the, My class, my graduating class was 52 people. They're not that big now, but we were one of the larger ones. But uh, Mr. B, as we called him uh was really made math fun. And and what I learned from that is I liked problem solving. That's math. It's problem solving. And I applied that to sports. You apply that to family life, being a parent and everything else. You gotta solve problems. If you want to be a good leader, it's a problem solving, decision-making profession. Gary Pinkle made that comment one time. He and I were walking across the parking lot at UT to some meeting about something. I don't remember what. But he said we're a problem solving decision making profession you know he didn't say I'm a football coach and we design these cool plays and he was right if you're a leader, that's what you do and so uh Steve Brannon in that math class at zo Ohio, it wasn't just me, another teammate of mine became a math teacher uh we all loved his classes, and uh he he could really teach math
0: tim you're um if you just look through your life as a as a player, your success as a player, as a teacher, as a coach, as athletic administration at the college of level. What's the common denominator to your approach or your success? Is there something you can identify that has been consistent in all those different phases of your career? I, I think there's several
1: things. Which I, I talk about in my book. Make one Play. Thank you for the lead into
0: my. Uh, uh, I've read. Uh, I, I, I didn't read uh, the uh, anchor up, but I've read the other two. Very yeah, well. Yeah. Very well written. The bananas one. The brown bananas one. We'll get to later. We'll get to later. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, I think one of the things that's uh,
1: always important in anything is is that people make you successful. You know, in, in in higher ed and college athletics, we're dealing with people. We're not making widgets. But I would argue, even that company out there that's making widgets, somebody's got to make the widgets, somebody's got to sell the widgets, somebody's got to uh, 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 market them. Right. Somebody's got to do all of them. those are people. Right. People make you successful, yeah. and I think a common theme would be relationships with people is the most important thing in developing a team, getting people seeing the vision and the common goal, and working towards that uh, and giving their absolute best to achieve that it's it's all about people and you know is I, the
0: relationship building part you consider obviously a strength area one of your go-to
1: no question uh i love people i, yeah. I love people i don't care what what who the they are is. what their role yeah. is what their background is i just love people and uh so i i think that you know permeates everything that i've, that I've ever done you know i go back to again my dad i refer to my dad a lot you know he always talked about his coaching staff. He had great success at Petersburg High School because he had the same coaching staff uh, most of his career. Phil Rickner was coaching seventh and eighth grade. Dave Ripke was the ninth grade. Steve Brandon, who I mentioned earlier, math teacher and JV basketball coach, and he had those get together. And so from seventh through twelve, there was a consistent theme, and and it was the people that made it happen. Um. So I, I, I would say that. There are a couple other things that I, I would touch on. I think a positive attitude is critical. In this day and age of negativity and, and people get uh, drowned in the noise in, of negative noise in, in media platforms everywhere, uh, social media, television, everything, it's negativity. And I think a good leader has to stay positive. He got to get beyond that. that because that's not the real world. Uh the real world, there's a lot of good people out there, right. oh, a lot of good people, everywhere you go. And you need to engage those people and enjoy those people and get them uh, seeing the vision that you might have as a leader and, and go for it. So I think that's important. And the last thing that I, I think is critical, and you mentioned Moms and Dads Eat the Brown Bananas. It's really a book about balance, how to find balance in your life. And it's written more for our children and their busy lives with their children. And yeah. you know, we're, you and I are, you know, uh, we're not as busy as we once were. But that's a busy time when you're when you're trying to achieve in your career, and you've got a family, and you and your spouse yeah. today are both working, and you got little ones you love and care about, and you want to spend as much time as possible. It's hard to find. It. Sure. And but and in leadership role, you know, in whatever endeavor you're leading. It could be twenty four seven if you let it.
0: But if you do that, you won't be your best version. Because the problems and the decisions and the issues, they just keep coming. You've solved ten, ten more fill up that Absolutely. Queue. Yep. I used to tell people there were moments in my career when I
1: felt like, Oh man, isn't this great? We we got it all rolling and, and nothing's going But every time I would do that, I tell myself, No, dude, there's a problem coming right around the corner. Get ready and that's your job as a leader. Don't panic, just stick. Stay- Keep right. calm. Keep your poise. Right. We don't talk about poison either. That's that's really important in this age and day. Noise. Just keep your poise. And uh, so there's a lot of things there, but it still comes to people, Brad. People make you successful. Yeah. I was fortunate. At Grand Valley, you said some nice things about our programs at Grand Valley. And, man, we had some great people there. Just, and still do. we are just been yeah. part part of my success.
0: You've worked with great coaches. And, pe- and people of uh, impact. So yeah. I I picked three out. One of them was your dad. Yes, yeah, sure. And we talked about yeah. him. But the other two that I know are high impact for you, John Wooden yep. and Bob Nichols. Yes. John Wooden. Yeah. You. Th- let's start with, you had an audience with him. With Once or Twice? Did once. You, once. Yeah. How did that
1: evolve? Oh, it's a great story. We so I'm at a Grand Valley football game, and uh, we're winning pretty good in the end of the third quarter, and I'm making the rounds. in our. we have six skyboxes there at our stadium. And was with one of our uh, great supporters, and he said, hey, what are you doing next week? And I said, well, homecoming football game and Hall of Fame dinner, It's not too bad. I'm taking a group out to meet with John Wood in person. I go, Danny, you're killing me. That would be a highlight of my career. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'd, if you'd ever think of doing it again, let me know. I'd love to go. Well, sure enough, six months later, we took a group out there were, there, were, there were four couples, my wife and I, Chuck Martin, was our head football coach at the time He's now in Miami, Ohio. His wife Dulcie uh Tim Schoonveld, is now the a d at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and his wife and Denny and, and his wife uh that Denny was the leader of the group. And, and we all flew out there because he, he had a guy that uh, he knew good friend of his, his wife had cancer, and while his wife was under treatment he was reading a John Wooden book and it meant so much it mattered to him at that time in his life he wrote Wooden a letter a week later he got a letter back so he wrote him another letter pretty soon they developed this pen pal kind of a thing and Wooden told him if you ever come out I'd love to meet you and your wife and he did so he developed this relationship that's the kind of leader John Wooden was he cared about people and he helped arrange this. So we flew out. We met for three and a half hours in Coach Wooden's little two-bedroom apartment that he lived in. Like you and I lived in when we first got married, you know. Ours was one-bedroom apartment yeah. right up here at Pennsylvania. Yes. And uh, uh, Wooden was such a humble man. That's another key ingredient, I think, behind great leaders. They found some humility. And he had. And and, and I, I tell people all the time, can you imagine a coach of his stature today living in a two-bedroom apartment million a multimillion-dollar mansion and so on? So he spent three and a half hours. He was 95 years old, sharp as a tack. And we just quizzed him and I you know, about leadership and so on, and he was just quoting poetry like it was nothing. Couldn't move real well. Yeah. All right, he had trouble getting in on his chair. He had a cane and everything, but he was doing okay. At the end of the deal, he, uh, I asked if would Coach, would just sign some autographs or get some photos? And he was more than happy that my wife and I have a photo with Coach Wooden in his little chair, arms around him in my office. It's it's just so cool. But uh, he he told a story, and I, and, I, and I don't have the pictures with me, so my our audience, if you can walk along with me here, imagine this. Coach Wooden, who one of the reasons why – I think so highly of him. I think he had the best definition of success ever. And his definition was, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction and knowing you did your best to become the best you're capable of becoming. It isn't about how much money you make, if you're All-American, how many wins you have. It's not about that. It's about becoming the best you can with God's given talent that you've been provided. And he developed that when he was teaching high school English in the late 40s. He had some students who were not real bright. He said they were limited. <laughs> he said, but they worked really hard in my class, and they got a C plus or B minus. I thought they were doing quite well. Their parents didn't think as highly of it. But I, he goes, I thought that was success. because then I had students who were really bright and just got by. And got an A minus or B plus when they should get an A. And he goes, I didn't think that was this. So he wanted a definition that didn't involve things. It's a peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction, knowing you did your best to become the best you're capable of becoming. And he shared that with us when he was 95, and the eight of us are sitting around his family room, and he looks right at us in the eye, and he says, and only you can know if you did your very best. (laughs) And he was right. He is right. Think about all the things that make you feel good about your life, career, and everything It's, you know, I did the best I could. Yeah. It wasn't perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Yeah. We're humans. And so he shared that with us. And and, and and at the end, the greatest story I have, he had uh, two stacks on his little wooden desk, uh, eight and a half by eleventh, of his pyramid of success. Now, if you don't know what that is, Google that sometimes because it's worth studying. But he developed a pyramid of how to become successful and all the things, the building blocks that go into it, the things that... And, matter. and then in the, in the right-hand corner, it had his definition of success. But there are two different stacks. One of them, he's pictured in his old UCLA coaching outfit in the 50s with a whistle around his neck in front of a chalkboard. The other is when he's in a suit and tie, rolled up program, you know, his later years. And he started to sign that one for Chuck Martin, our head football coach. He signed my book for me, They Call Me Coach. That was the first yeah, book written great, about Wood. Co- great
0: book. I was in
1: eighth grade. I got that book because UCLA's winning yes. national championships, yeah. and he signed that for me. So he's signing this one for Chuck, and he says, hold on, Chuck. I want to sign this other one for you, and in a minute, I'm going to tell you why. The 1950s one. The 50s one. Yeah. He signs that painstakingly, beautiful penmanship, hands it to him, and he says, now, Chuck, I want you to look at that chalkboard. Do you see what's on that chalkboard? And Chuck goes, yeah, 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 coach, that, that's your 2 2 zone press. Wooden was famous for pressing yes. all the time at 2 2 zone press. He goes, that's right. He goes, but look at that carefully. And it's hard to see it in the photo. But when you look, he's got the basketball players numbered one, two, three, four, and five, like we do in basketball. The one and two are the guards, three and four are the forwards, the fives, the center. But next to the numbers, he's got their names. Number one was Walt Hazard, Basketball Hall of Famer. Number two is Gil Goodrich, Basketball Hall of Famer. Back here, number five was Keith Erickson. Keith Erickson is the only athlete ever to be first team all-american basketball in college and a member of gold medal volleyball a usa volleyball team so Mm. pretty good athlete back i would say all right
2: and he played for the lakers yeah Yeah. he
1: did he said chuck he goes now what i'm going to tell you i want you to remember this the rest of your career you see that press we had yeah coaches we ran that press a lot of years before i had those it worked a lot better when I had those. And we got on the plane to come back. And then he turned to Chuck and I. He goes, "All right, give me two takeaways." And With well, one second out of our mouths, "You better recruit good talent if you want to do something special in college athletics." And that comes back to people. Surround yourself with the best people possible. College athletics—you gotta have. Sure, you gotta have talent, student athletes, right? You gotta right. find, but they gotta be the right fit for your school. They gotta be. They gotta be right fit for your program and everything else. And then you've got to surround yourself with the best coaching staff you possibly can. Hire people that are better than you. I mean, the people that I was around in my career, I look back, oh my gosh, they made me so much better. It's 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 laughable. Sometimes, how good they were. And that's, that's a way to be successful. So that, that those are my takeaways I got from.
0: So was obviously a big, uh, a, a big influence. Yeah. And uh, coach Bob Nichols was also, let me, you let's it's before we get to that conversation, what brought you to the University yeah. of Toledo? What well, was the deciding factor? Did you do were you thinking other places or Yeah, I
1: was too little and Bowling Green. Came down to Toledo and Bowling Green for me. Uh bowling green my, both my older brothers went to bowling green, right. they're Falcons. Uh John Weiner had just been hired as the new head coach of bowling green. I didn't really know much about him. Uh but Coach Knuckles had been recruiting me, uh Coach McDonald, Coach Conroy for, you know, for a good year plus. And I wanted to. I knew I wanted to do a career in athletics. I wanted to coach basketball. I was right. And then as I grew and, and matured, I wanted to get into administration. Um, but I knew the reputation Coach Nichols had. and I watched his teams play growing up on TV all the time. They they could really coach basketball. He right. knew I had to coach and teach basketball. So that was the decision. Uh, I I wanted to go to Toledo. I thought both schools had good college of educations. Both schools were close by. Both schools, everything all be equal, but it was Coach Nick that made the difference, and uh, I'm very grateful that uh, that I made that decision.
0: So, based on that decision, then he became a role model slash mentor, yeah. so uh, a source of positive life yeah. influence. Yeah. What about no, no. what? What? Give me some takeaways from Coach Nick.
1: Well, I, I'm going to give you one thing, Brad, that you and I heard a lot when we played for him, that. I've never heard a coach before or since use this phrase. And and my book, Make One Play, is, is a, is a build-out of that phrase. Coach Nichols would often say, You never know what one play will lead to, fellas. And it it stuck with me my whole career. And he would, I remember him using that phrase in film sessions when some one of our players would make a, a relatively no, uh, non noticeable play, set a good screen.
0: Kevin Apple.
1: Kevin Apple. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he would tip the, he, he couldn't jump for high, but on the free throws, he would tip it back out and we would retain possession. I can distinctly remember a big one in the Iowa, big, the famous Toledo victory. Stan yeah. Joppa made the last second shot. We beat Iowa. Apps made that play, kept us in possession in the second half. That really matters in sports. It and you know, you never know which play is gonna change the momentum. You know, you might go four straight possessions without scoring, and then somebody makes a big shot. That, that that gets it going in your favor again. That can change the game. And 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 it's not often because a guy set a good screen and a guy gave him a good pass. And Nick would bring those things out. You never know at one play, well, it doesn't have to be the ESPN top ten play. Uh, you know, in football, I when I talk to football coaches, that old lineman might pick up the blitz and chip that guy just enough to give the quarterback time to make the nice throw. The quarterback gets all the credit. The receiver makes the great catch. But that old lineman made that little play that you never know what one play will lead to. And I've stuck that my whole life. And and I relate that to leaders and teachers. You never know what one word of encouragement will lead to. You never know what spending an extra 30 minutes employee or a student will lead to. Just show me that you care and that you're with them. and I think back to my career. I remember uh, two things really really motivated me in my career. At the end of my freshman year, I, I played a little bit, you know, like you did. We were kinda of came off the bench and, and and, and, played a little bit. And so you between that freshman and sophomore year is a big one. At the end of that freshman year, Coach Dick's talked to me about becoming more fit. I mean, running a lot, getting in better, uh, stronger be, have more endurance, and get a little quicker, lighter on my feet. And so I took that to heart. But one of the things he said was, uh, he, he, he said, you, you can do this. He goes, just, do, you know, you, you got to learn to uh, push yourself a little, bit, but you can do it. And that helped because I went through my freshman year, you know, scared to death. of me. <laughs> He was a no-nonsense guy. For sure. But he gave me some encouragement. And then the other thing is, and this came to me secondhand, you know, my dad knew a lot of the Toledo crowd, sports mm-hmm. crowd. And uh, the the longtime, uh, a former high school basketball coach at Central Catholic High School was Pete Benedict. Jeff Seaman played for mm-hmm. Pete a little bit. And uh, Pete knew my dad really well. They, they were good buddies. And Pete told my dad one time that he, he had run into Coach Nichols, and Coach Nichols had told him he's a really good player. And that him wow, they think I'm going to be a good player. All right, I better live up to this then and went to work. See, uh, but you never know. I, you look back at your career and all the people you encounter, you don't know what a, a smile can do for some. Mm-hmm. And and telling a waitress, uh, or a a, a a custodial worker, hey, thanks for your work, you're doing a great job. And I guess over time, I've learned to do that more. I wish I'd have done it more throughout my life.
0: Mm-hmm. So, obviously, a lot of impact. Of those two individuals, what's the one biggest thing you took away from your dad?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, And I talk about this a lot. My dad, I got to give you two things. One is he can't fool kids. And I share that with my clients uh, all over the country. Listen, when I go and I I do my consulting and I go to a school, I want to meet with the student athlete leadership team. They, They all have them. And I sit down, I basically ask them five questions just to get them talking about experience at that school. If I want to learn about a school and their athletics program and the student have the experience, all you got to do is ask them. In the collegiate level, they're 18 to 22. They're not afraid to, to speak up. And you can't fool kids. They'll You'll know what's going right and what's not going right at a school just by talking to the kids. So I learned that from him. Uh, the second thing was uh, KISS method of teaching. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, he I remember him distinctly talking about that lots of times. See he showed me one time in, in those days his practice plan was a legal pad with the, the time over here handwritten. You know, when we by the time we got to college they were typed. Somebody typed them on a nice card. Now they're now it's on the iPad or right. your phone. But then he hand wrote them every practice. And I remember one time he showed me I said, Look at that he said, This is so that word, we're getting too complicated. These guys, we need to simplify it. They're getting too confused. And he simplified it down. I remember my, that was my brother's sophomore year in high school. And they turned around and had a really good year. By the end of the year, they were hard to beat. And I never forgot that. in ain't in anything. Mm-hmm. At Grand Valley, when I was the athletics director, we had what we called our three fundamentals uh, for success for Lakers. And when things got complicated, when things got hard, when we hit adversity, let's just go back. To the fundamentals. You know, Nick Saban refers to those as the process. That's become a coined term now everywhere. Stick process. It's easier said than done when things are going haywire. You can't worry about the win or the loss or the record or the standings. You get back and focus on what are we going to do to get better as a team. What were the three? Uh number one was create the best learning environment possible. Our job as a staff. In a college athletics department, our job is to help those kids, A, get their degree from Grand Valley, B, prepare them for the rest of their lives. And it was our job to create the environment that they could do that and succeed We had to create the best learning environment possible. And I would always tell our student-athletes, I went over this every year with all our student-athletes at the beginning of the year. I went over it with our coaches several times a year to the point they rolled their eyes at it, I'm sure. But I wanted them to know that's what we're here for. This is athletics, and so we keep the standings and, and all. But you know what? Uh, for, Coach Nichols would say, four years from now, the ball is going to stop bouncing, fellas. You got to have something else. And our jobs are to prepare them for the rest of their lives. And I would tell our student athletes and parents in recruiting visits that doesn't mean it's always going to be an easy learning environment, because it's not. I went through that. You went through that. You know, it was hard at and, man, was it great preparation for the rest of our lives. So that, that was number one, create the best learning environment possible. Number two was to challenge our teams to competitive greatness. Now, we use Coach Wooden's definition of competitive greatness. In that pyramid of success that I referred to earlier, there's a bu- building block up there near the top that says competitive greatness. And that means coming through with your best effort and best performance when it is most needed. And you can't do that unless you're trying to do that every day. You can't make the play when you need it near the end of any game, any contest, unless you're working hard every day with your best performance and best effort. Uh, You know, I think of a softball pitcher. To really throw that strike when you need it most with runners on at the end of the game, that doesn't happen. Uh, on the mound on that day, that happens through all those training sessions, and, all those, and so on. We could go on and on, and that's critical in life. It's the day to day. You got to fall in love with the day to day routine and and grind a little bit. The process uh, to be able to come through with your best effort, best performance when it's most needed. You got to go through that every day and, and train yourself, discipline yourself to do that every day. And our third fundamental success for Laker athletics is simple: commit the energy necessary for success. If you aren't bringing the energy as the leader amongst six hundred eighteen to twenty-two year olds, it ain't gonna. Okay, if you're a dud, they're gonna be a dud, and you better be bringing the energy. And that was the one thing I told I, I would emphasize to our step. Hey, you're gonna make mistakes. We're not gonna be perfect. I can live with all of them, but man, we got to commit the energy necessary for success. We've got to be able to be successful in college athletics with a uh, a uh, finite amount of money you know we have a, a limited budget we're division two we don't have great resources. we got to go out and find our own we got to go out and work to get our own work hard and, and create some external revenues yes but we've got to do it within a limited but we got to do it within our conference our school and our ncaa rules and regulations we got to be in compliance and to do that maybe means go the extra effort go a little extra further you know do it the right way let's do it and do it the right way and i guess that's you know, I'm very proud of that, that we were able to achieve those things. But at 58, I, I I don't think I could commit the energy anymore. That's when I decided to shift into the second career of mine as a consultant because I gave it the best shot I could, but I was worn out a little bit from it because it it's a lot. And I think,
0: um, I Tim, I, I found that really interesting because you were very candid during that transition period because you had such great success. People were saying, we want you to stay. We don't. Yeah. I. I that was just very honest.
1: Well, you know, I uh, one of the one of the things I, I I like to talk about a lot is having balance in your life. You know, I learned that from my dad. He would constantly talk. Uh, and this was a highly accomplished high school coach, an athletics person. My dad was a great bowler. He's in three bowling hall of fame. My mom's in a, bowl, a little bowling hall of mm-hmm. fame. My dad, uh, both and 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 Coach Nichols, you know. He didn't run us ragged, as basketball teams, and, and I think there's some in college basketball that do. They, just, you know, run their guys ragged and they're burnt out by the end of the year. Well, we we balance it, um, and then Coach Wood constantly strived about talking about balance. And so I've tried to do that my whole career is I have a balance in my life with my family life. Um, you know, I I coached my kids growing up like you probably did, and, and I encourage my staff to that's. You know, it was it was sports and I was coaching my kids, but I totally forgot about work during that time. Mm. I just enjoyed being with those kids. And now I do it with my grandkids. It's a total blast. I'm done. It's awesome. Uh so oh, yeah. you know, your family brought a balance uh in my life. That 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 helped me during those times. Uh uh I I did things outside of sports. Yeah, I I'm an avid reader. I love to read. I Absolutely love to read. I read I usually have two books going at all times.
0: Depending on your mood, you go with the
1: book. Well, when I was uh, in in the chair, if you will, as an athletics director, I would read non-sports books during the sports season. I From September to May, I, I read non-sports books. I wanted to get my mind off of it. In the summer, it was when I would read leadership books, sports and so on, uh, and get some balance there. Uh, exercise, you got to get some exercise. You got to take care of your body physically. Well, Coach Nichols did that. We We would see him after practice running around the track upstairs to get a little exercise and workout in and my dad did that. and and so that stuck with me too and you know i i've always uh, maintained a regimen of, of exercise throughout my life and uh uh because you know at some point in time you you got to look at yourself and say you know i think mike sprills uh, i mentioned earlier said you know you you got to take your job seriously and with importance but don't take yourself so seriously
0: I think you handled that transition the the moving on yeah. from Grand Valley just exceptionally. Let me ask you what do you miss the most?
1: Uh the 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 day-to-day with the people, the coaches and the kids. Uh, I miss that. Um you know, I I knew it was time. Uh I I my my both my older brothers, you know, had been through careers in education. I learned so much from them too, by the way. They, they went through college athletics at Bowling Green. They both played baseball there. My oldest brother Dick played both baseball and basketball. So that really helped me out. And they went through, you know, I'm the youngest of the three. So I, I saw them as they were nearing the end of their careers and how they handled it. We talked a lot about that. And I always wanted to leave sooner rather than later. Yeah. And when I got out, I, I look back now, I, I, I my, that was one thing I did well in my life because— I think if I'd have hung on much longer, I might have had a health problem. I might have done or said something out of frustration that I would have put a damper on the end of my career, and I didn't want to do that. I saw a lot of coaches and ADs do yeah. that, and I didn't want to do that. Yet I felt I also also had more to give. and the consulting thing and writing some books and doing some speaking has been a wonderful, rewarding experience the last seven years of my life in doing that. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's hard to know when it's time, and there's no perfect answer on that. And there, I don't think there's a perfect answer on for young people I talked to today about taking another job or moving here and doing there. Timing uh, is almost never perfect on that stuff, and don't try to be perfect with it. You know, just you know, that what's that phrase? Don't overlook the good and trying to find perfect all the time. And so I I think I did did a good job with that.
0: You know, what I really enjoyed, Tim, was in researching before our conversation here was just listening to and watching all the tributes. Because you announced early, like in October, because you wanted to give the institution a chance, which was also very thoughtful. But when it came time, uh, the last couple of weeks, the uh, celebrations and the thank yous and the farewell, those were really the things that people got up and said and things were written. Really, really impactful. Naming the 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 Wall of Champions, the trophy case, which is gigantic, very nice, yeah. And then also the scholarship and yeah. your interior. I mean, those yeah. are really meaningful goodbye gestures. And I know the yeah. people things are more important to you, but just to have that all come together. And I know Brian Kelly came back for yes. one of them, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I was very talk about honored Brian, by that because Brian Kelly, obviously, was, if I'm getting it right, he had the first D1 championship at yeah. To, at Grand Valley.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, what back to my announcement and my last years in AD, what the goal I had was I wanted it to be a seamless transition. Yeah. Uh, they ended up hired Carrie Becker, who was our senior associate athletics director, but whether it was her or someone from the outside, I wanted it to be seamless for the people that had done that work. Again, very thoughtful. Uh, uh, You know, that, to me, that's critical. That's your final act as a leader is leave it in good hands, leave it in great shape. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's a good feeling for me to know how, how well things are going in Grand Valley now. They're a nice job. Um, but Brian Kelly, Brian was at Grand Valley when I arrived. And I was 38 when I got there. He was 34. So we kind of grew up together. He had been his oh, Grand he was at Grand Valley seventeen years. People don't remember yes. this now. He's head coach at LSU, he's a rock star and all that. Right. But he became a GA at Grand Valley, was a linebackers coach for two years, defense coordinator for two years, and he got the head coaching job at twenty nine, I mm-hmm. think it was. So I get there, but I knows this now. Didn't know it then. Huge advantage he had with our relationship was uh we I was associate AD at the University of Toledo. We attended Little Flower Church here on Door Street in Toledo, Ohio, and Frank Lauderbur was a parishioner in that parish. Frank was was a long time; he's passed away now. A great coach at Toledo, he was the head football coach in '69, '70, 70, and '71 when the Rockets went 35 and all the legendary teams. Right. And Frank was a great coach, and then he coached in the NFL for a while and was a scout in his later years. Well, when I got to know him at Mass. He was a scout, and he knew who I was, and I knew him. And every Sunday after mass, he'd grab me and want to talk sports. And Terry would have the kids there in the minivan. She was getting anxious, <laughs> like you keep talking sports with Frank. I said, "Well, Terry, this guy was. It's good for big, me to do that. Deal. Pick his brain." I had been a finalist at Grand Valley for the AD job, and it was in the Toledo Blade. I was one of the two finalists. And after mass that Sunday, he grabs me by the elbow and never forget. Grandma me by the elbow and says, "Hey, I want you to know, It be a great job for you." And they got a really good young football coach in Brian Kelly. He's going to really be good. And that mattered a lot to me. Frank knew good coaches. Great coaches no great coaches. That's one of the things I learned. I learned that from Nick Saban as well. But uh, uh, Frank was spot on. When I got there, I thought, ooh, this guy is good. Brian, he, again, he was 34. I I just come from the University of Toledo. Our last two head football coaches were Nick Saban and Gary Pink. Gary Pinkle got just got inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame last November. I thought, man, he's in that level. He just needs more time. And uh and uh that was one right decision I made. You sensed uh, that
0: when you Oh first, yeah.
1: First met even first we, we drove to a Tigers game together from Grand Rapids. Uh Grand Valley had an alumni deal at a Tiger game at Comerica. And so we run over there and we spoke to the alums and you know did that whole deal. But he and I, more importantly, spent five hours in the car. Mm-hmm. and we just talked football and we talked what do we need to as an athletic department? What are all the things we need to deal with? And, uh, and he, Brian, is uh, like Nick, uh, Gary Pinkle, they could transcend sports. And they could talk about a lot of things. And you ought to listen. Brian is Brian started in politics. Um, he was a political science major. His dad was in politics in Boston. And uh, he was on Gary Hart's campaign staff he was on the leaders lead team they'd go to the city before hart would come and speak at you know deal and they were he said we were sitting around the table one morning having coffee and the newspaper came out when gary hart had the bombshell on his affair uh, affair on his uh uh, boat and all that and then he said we all looked at each other and said well we better find new jobs (laughs) he he called his college coach his college coach knew tom back grand valley's coach at the time and that's how he ended up at grand Valley. as our grand assistant and the rest is history (laughs) how <laughs> about that? Oh, wow. For a, a start in coaching. That's a good backstory. Yeah,
0: yeah. But for him to come back for your uh one of your final <laughs> yeah. goodbye ceremonies. Yeah, that
1: was awesome. I didn't expect that. You know, he was at Notre Dame at the time and, and his times the de- time demands on those guys are off the charts. I mean, people would not they live rock star lives. Yeah. And it's just hard. And for him to do that, uh, mattered. Uh he drove up by himself, uh, to be there and he kinda joked about that. <laughs> He had to drive himself. He hadn't done that in a while. Um uh but it, it meant a lot. And we went through a lot together. We've had uh and Terry and I got to go, we were at the L S U Alabama game this past year and we spent a good half hour with Brian Friday before the game and it was it was wonderful. Just wonderful. And so proud of him and yeah. glad that we had that association and he and his wife uh have been phenomenal to Grand Valley. Uh they have just been unbelievably generous. They've allowed us to get some things done that we wouldn't be able to get done without their generosity. And two of their three children have gone to Grand Valley. Patrick, his oldest, uh, just got his degree. He's down with him at LSU. Gracie, the middle, she went to Notre Dame. And Kenzel, their youngest, is at Grand Valley now. He's in the football program. He's He's got Brian's build, unfortunately. Doesn't help him as a college football player, but uh, he's a good student and he's done a nice job
0: at Grand Valley. So. Yeah, that's re- rewarding. NIL and the portal. If you yeah. were in still in the AD <clears throat> at Grand Valley, yeah. how would you be handling that or?
1: Um, it'd be hard. It's really hard. You know, as an AD, I did not have to handle a pandemic. Right. So, I I it, that was really hard. I could see the strain on on my clients' faces during that. Like all of us shared that, but uh, when you it was hard in education. That's do we play? Do we not play? Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Do, do we allow fans? Do we not allow fans? And nobody's happy with anything. And it was very, very hard.
0: Um, I
1: did not have to deal with the tr- NIL. Okay, the but name, image, like.
0: Let's say if you did now. Yeah. Give me. I guess I'm asking your perspective I, on those two I, things and the impact on yes, college sports.
1: Here's what I would tell you. Um, I I don't know that I would really like it. I I take that back. I'd have I I think I would embrace it. This is the way it is now. I saw a lot of change in 40 years in college athletics, a lot. Yeah. From uh, social media to uh, steroids and drug usage, and I dealt with all those issues to uh, uh, changes in the rules, three point play. We didn't have three point play when you and I played, you know, all those kinds of things. There's always going to be change. There's changes. The changes in conferences has been going on forever, forever. Schools have changed conferences Uh you could like you could take it back fifty years and and it, it this is not something new. The volume of money is new that's what's not new that's been around for a while we, well unfortunately, for you and I, we were before the volume of money <laughs> got really, really big but uh that's changed the thing, of course, but in terms of name image likeness, i've told people all along i'm a proponent I think college athletes should get some uh, Funny, and, and I'm going to tell this story, Brad. You, you're, you were involved in this story. In 1979, Toledo played Dayton at Toledo. Big game. The year before was my sophomore year. We lost at Dayton by one. Both teams were in the top 25. Now, come back the next year, both are in the top 25 again. So this is a huge non-conference matchup at the time. Uh, and 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 it's in Toledo, and we're Don, sold out. Don Donaher. Don Donaher, the he's great, a coach uh, from D- Toledo. D- he coached Central Catholic guy Once went to Dayton. So he and Coach Nichols are going head-to-head, and, and they didn't play much. That was the only two times I think they played each other because they were such good yeah. friends. And in retrospect, Coach Nichols told me when I was coaching with him, you know, he's not sure he would have done it again, but, uh, but they had such great respect for each other, and they were great games. I know they're – Almost certain they were each one-point game. We lose there. We beat them here. So we beat them in Toledo, and we're both top 25. And after the game, and this is how I like to tell the story, it was a Wednesday night, sold-out crowd, television. Uh, it was televised, whatever we had back yeah. then. And Jay Lehman and Harvey Knuckles and Mitch Seaman and I, uh, uh, three of my teammates, we were at a local establishment rehydrating ourselves, as I like to call it. And we were talking about the game. and all. People are congratulating us and everything. And suddenly, one of us says, yeah, man, that's the 12th straight sellout. We had, we told, and Savage Hall had 9,000 seats. At, and Harvey says, yeah, how much money they making off us? And I said, well, Harv, I was the math guy. I said, <laughs> 9,000 a game times five bucks a ticket. I think it was the average price back then. I go 45 grand times 12. Yeah, that's about a half a million dollars. Yeah, and we get 195 bucks room and board money a month. And you know what? We kind of felt it. I felt it at that time. We got to get up and go to practice the next day. We got, you know, no, we're the ones putting out our blood, sweat, and tears on the line, right? right, right. Now we got scholarships. And, and I like to tell the story back then, though, a pretty co ed walked by and we forgot all about it, right? <laughs> we didn't worry about it. Now it's a different deal. Those guys, I mean, you know, we, we shot free throws in front of thousands of people that mattered. Yeah. Well now it really matters. Financially, it's it's off the charts. Right. And so I think the players should get a cut of that. If coaches are gonna make millions, they should get a cut of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The por- the portal. The,
1: the portal is uh I I like to tell people, listen, uh my dad told me my freshman year at Toledo. Thankfully, I had a father that had coached and was a great teacher and provided great wisdom for me. Uh, he said, uh, uh, when I was going through a tough time, hey, every freshman in the country thinks about transferring at one time. Yeah. For sure. you got to decide, you, you know, if you want to do it, you got to go to work and, 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 and get better. And it's always, transferring has always been a part of college athletics. The rules used to be that, though, in basketball and football and ice hockey, you had to sit out one year. There was a price to pay yep. for transferring. Yep. All right, in all other sports, you could transfer and be eligible immediately if you met certain criteria academically, and you didn't, you know, you weren't, uh, you didn't get arrested or things like that. You could go in, in baseball at Toledo and Michigan. You could transfer and be eligible. That's always existed. It's been highlighted now because now they allow football and basketball players do it. The challenging part today, and I think it'll get better. It'll work itself out. Because COVID allowed every student-athlete to get another year of an eligibility. Year. Yep. And so now they're allowed to go into the portal and transfer one time during their career, be eligible right away. And if they graduate, they can transfer, and be eligible again right away. So they could do it twice. And we're seeing a lot of that now because they got an extra year of COVID. They had more chances to get their degree. Right. One of the great things of COVID is a lot more people got their degrees. Uh, because of it, now what 's going to happen though, the fallout is we 're seeing the unintended consequences i I heard a stat uh they're 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 starting to develop statistics on this now and in some of the n c a work I do two thirds of the student athletes that enter the portal never end up anywhere that's what's happened now now we're starting to see that, and now maybe we 'll get back. I think it'll settle down to okay, wait a minute here uh it's not the grass isn't
0: always greener. Stay stay where you're at and do the best you can. So your playing career, we could talk hours on this. Uh, if I asked you the most memorable game, if I was going to answer that for you, I would say the five-overtime victory against Central Michigan or the Iowa game. Yeah. Am I close?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I could say one. Those two would certainly be there. Uh, the Central Michigan game, though, people forget this. That was a five-overtime game we lost. That was the last regular season game my sophomore year. If we'd have won, we'd have won the Mac. Yeah. So I played 61 minutes of that game. That's a record. I think I'm going to outlive. Because <laughs> you you got to play five overtimes, and somebody's going to play more than 61 minutes to beat that record. Did you go that's out hard. at all? What's the max? Yeah, yeah, 65 minutes okay. would be the max. And uh, and that's that's a th- I have a good rewarding feeling about that. However, we lost the game. Yeah. Uh, the Iowa win was it's got to be the best at Toledo because Stan's last-second shots was legendary in the NCAA. And then we went played Notre Dame in the Sweet 16, and dang near beat competitive, them. Competitive, yes. Yes. I mean, you know, what people forget about that game now, Notre Dame, they, they seeded you by regions then. Notre Dame was the number two seed. Michigan State, Magic Johnson were the number one seed. If we'd have won that game, we'd have played Magic. And I like to tell a story that. But for those Catholic officials in the Notre Dame game, (laughs) the world missed out on the great Tim Sauger versus Magic Johnson one on one matchup, of course. But that, though, there were great times. And you Um, might have, you might have guarded Magic. uh, Nah, Harvey would have guarded him. All right. Okay. No, he was 6'9, he was tall. Yeah, but
0: he was bringing the ball up.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. He was still probably faster, quicker than I was. But there are two games I remember the most in my career. All right. And, and, uh, one was my final game. I began and ended my career with a loss to Florida State. The first game my freshman year, we played in Clemson's tournament. We played Florida State in the first round. We lost, and then we beat Yale in the yeah. next game. My final game at Toledo, my senior year, was the NCAA Bowling tournament at Bowling Green, Green Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. In the first round, we had a lead, and kind of lost it, and the what I we learned, were up in the second half. Yeah, we were, and uh, they beat us. And I can remember. After shaking hands, walking off the court, getting in the locker room, and and Coach Nichols having some good words for us, and, everything, and all of a sudden it hit me. That's it. It's over. I wasn't gonna play in the NBA. I mean, and and I thought all those years of practice and work, and and I I just started bawling. I can remember bawling, and I remember getting in the shower and standing under the shower and bawling. And then at some point, you know, I uh, we we. We want to say it was the Holy Spirit, divine guidance, uh, uh, which I believe in, uh, occurred because I I remember having the feeling of, dude, you became the best you could possibly. You weren't going to get any. And at that point, I went out with my parents and my brothers were at the game. I went out with them afterwards, had a bite to eat. I just, I felt at peace with it all. And that, go back to the Wooden's definition. I lived that definition in that moment. And that was great. But the most memorable game of my career, and so surprised a lot of people, was in high school. My senior year in high school, we made it to the state finals. We lost in that game. So we were runners-up, all right? But the game you have to win to go to state is the regional finals in Ohio. Now, I, from second grade on, my dad took me and my brothers to the state tournament in Columbus, Hall, to St. John's Arena, the old building at Ohio State. Just wonderful. It had character, man. That was a great place for for basketball. And I'd been there my whole life. And, man, my dream, if it, if it ever was a dream, I had a dream of playing in St. John's Arena. It's
0: kind State of like Tournament. the Hoosiers field.
1: You got it. Yeah. And this little town of Pettisville, we had a really good, I had some really good teammates. We grew up together. And we had all successful teams. And my junior year, my, my brother Jim's senior year, we lost in the regional semifinals. At Anderson Arena, Bowling Green, and Marion Local High School. They went on to win the state championship. And that's what we can do. With this. And we got to the regionals at BG again. We beat Riverdale in the semifinals. And we're playing Fort Jennings in the regional championship game. And I've never felt more pressure in athletics in my life because that was it. That was our shot to go to state. Mm-hmm. And Dean, the dream gunner, came off the bench and scored 19 points. We ended up winning that game 63 49. It's a legendary game. For Pettisville, because uh, it got tight at the end of the third quarter, and my running mate at guard, John Wise, made a 75 foot shot at the buzzer third quarter, and the place went berserk. And that changed the, the momentum. It was the dagger. Oh, well, no, it was, they were catching up. They were within one. Okay. And he drains, as long well. as we were two at that time. Yeah. And we went up three and had momentum, and then it was Katie Barr the door, and we went and we got to, I got to live that dream, and we won the semifinals against Arcanum and lost the state finals against uh, Indian Valley South. Charlie Huggins was the head coach of that team. That's Bob Huggins, father, mm-hmm. coach of West Virginia. Just did silly stuff to get fired.
0: Let's um, it's sticking with leadership, but it's a little bit different avenue in. Unpack your statement. I've heard you, you've written it, and you've said it. This idea of parenting is the most important and challenging yeah. leadership role. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting um, segment of our life to yeah. equate the, so yeah. talk about that. Well, you, you're you're teaching, teaching your
1: children. I watch my children now teach their children, and it's the most emotionally charged teaching experience ever. Uh, when it's your own children, man, it's hard uh, because you live and die with every little thing they do. You know, of course, if you care and love them, it's going to happen. You know, as a grandfather now, I love going to my grandson's games because I don't care how they do. If <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to give them a hug after game, tell them how much I enjoyed watching them play. And it's so easy for me to do that. But that's not easy for the parents. I can see that in my children. And it wasn't easy for me. So I respected that about parents throughout my life. But that's the hard part. You're, you want what's best for your child. You don't want to see them go through pain. Yet you and I are teachers. We know that's good for them. They'll get through it. They'll be fine, as we yeah. did. Um, but it's hard to see that when you're a parent. That's why I think it's it's the toughest job there is. I'm going to tell one story about uh, I am so thankful I had the parents I had, and I know you had great parents too, Brad, but my mom and dad were just phenomenal parents. Uh, that book you mentioned, Anchor Up, uh, I had a guy at our church uh, tell me, he read it just, uh, this past year, and he told me, he says, do you know how lucky you were to have parents? Like, yeah, Jerry, I think well, this guy was an orphan. And, uh, you know, imagine that. And I thought about it, man, I was part of the lucky sperm club because I had my mom and my dad, uh, you know, of course they're involved in athletics, but my freshman year when I was going through a tough time, my toughest time, uh, in college, uh, I got to Toledo. I was from Pettisville, Ohio, this town of 400 and I'm going to the big city. You know, this is my shot at, my brothers had been at BG and they're college athletes. And I felt all this pressure, I think. And, And school was a little bit harder, although I handled that reasonably well, I think. Practices were a lot harder than high school. The competition, I'm going against guys that were all state every day in practice. uh, To try to get on the court was really hard. and, And, you know, I was homesick. I was only 45 minutes from home, and I was homesick. I'm not ashamed to tell. So after three weeks of preseason practice, and people forget, back then we had six weeks of practice. Was Nothing boring. but practice yeah. until we played our first game. Today, they played two, two weeks of practice. They got an exhibition, and then right. they're playing games. Right. And that was hard. Yeah. And I'm sitting there my freshman year at the end of three weeks. I went home on Saturday night, and I sat down with my mom and dad. I, I can remember this in our living room at Pettisville, Ohio. I sat down. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I was crying. I go, I don't know if I can do this. I got to do this three more years after this. I don't know if I can make it. I'm trying to make it through one practice, let alone right. this whole season. And uh, I said, I don't know if I'll ever play. These guys are good. And I'll never forget my, my parents told me. My dad said, You know, your mom and I don't care whether you become first team All Mac or never get to play. And we don't care if you get all A's or all C's. All we want you to do is to do the best you can. And then he said the magic words because we're going to love you either way, hmm. no matter if you play a lot or don't or do well. We're going to love you either way. We're your parents. And I could almost palpably feel the load lifted off my shoulders. And I went back and I decided, you know what? It's not my job to please other people. I'm just going to do the best I can. And it comes back to Wooden's definition of success. That's when I started to formulate that as a 19-year-old. I go, you know what? Dude, just do the best you can. And I went about doing. And it worked out great. And I I did, I, I maintain that throughout my career, whether it was coaching or administration, when things were tough and people were demanding and everything else, you know, I'm just going to do the best I can. If I ain't good enough for them, tough luck. <laughs> Go find somebody else.
0: Speaking <laughs> your so, uh, decision making, uh, what's the biggest, most difficult, or one of the most challenging decisions you had yeah. to make, either personally or professionally? You've covered a couple already, but is there one that sticks out that was man? It was. I I don't know if there is any one, but personnel decisions were the hardest. I tell people all the time
1: what what kept me awake at night, was issues with our staff. Um, you know, just uh, whether we had conflicts on the staff, whether I had a, a problem employee, or a, a a situation where I knew this employee. It's the best thing for the organization was that this employee we had to relieve the person of their duties. Uh, those things, because the matter—if you care about people, and you, you know, you you know, people make you successful. Those are hard, and those are hard for me. I still look back on them, and some of them are still. Hard. But probably the, those are the toughest decisions, the toughest situations I had as a leader was when I had staff that that died. Um, we had a, a young marketing uh, director for our athletics department that died way too young and tragic. Our head trainer died of brain cancer. Uh, we had a really good young track coach that got killed in an accident on the highway. He was bought his first home and was uh, the chair fell off the truck in a, on the interstate. He quick went out to get it off there so nobody else uh, would hit the chair and have an accident. He got hit and and those were hard. And then you know you have to face the staff and you have to face the kids that this person is gone and you're the leader. They're looking yeah. to you and and I was a mess, all well, myself, and you know, that was probably the hardest.
0: What about uh, the role of spirituality in yeah. the leadership? Walk
1: well, it got me through times like I just described. Uh, I thought, you know, I again, thankfully, I grew up with parents that I had uh, we were a Christian home, so I've grown up in Christian faith, and uh, it's it's got me through. <laughs> You know, I can remember my dad when I was a young kid said, "Man, I don't know how people do it with faith mm. in God because life is tough it is tough on earth. humans are humans screwed up a lot and make things hard, and how do you do without faith? I don't know. Uh, all I know is that it really really worked for me and helped me to this point in my life and everything i I usually have two books going at one time, as I mentioned, one of them is almost always a spiritual book um and I've leaned on people. Uh, you know, we we're, we obviously know we have a great mentor and Father Jim Basic. Uh, he's been a tremendous mentor for me, especially in the last, I'd say, 20 years of my life. Um, uh, I, uh, so there's certain Richard Rohr, uh, Franciscan priest in New Mexico, some tremendous books that have been very helpful to me. But it's played a huge role in my life, my family's wife, life. Uh, and I, I would say to the audience out there, you know, I'm, I'm one of the more eclectic Christians they'll ever know. When you and I roomed together, I, I was a, a Protestant. Yes. My dad was Lutheran. My mother was Catholic. My dad, at the time, the Catholic Church was online. My dad said, I'm "My boys raised in a church where they won't understand." It, it makes <laughs> sense. So we went to Lutheran church. And then we went to the Pettisville Missionary Church when we lived in Pettisville, Ohio for my, most of my youth, from like fourth grade to senior year. And it was a non-denominational evangelical Christian church, so I've got that background. Uh, and then I met my wife, Terry, who was Catholic. And I went through the cath- catechumenate program for a full year. Father Nick Cunningham coached me up uh, on on the Catholic Church, and uh, uh, I joined the Catholic Church. We got married St. Sylvania J- St. Joe's. And that was 41 years ago, Monday. <laughs> <in> the <laughs> 24th, on 41 man. years. And so uh, so I've got this background of, hey, man, we're all in this together. It doesn't matter, you know, what church you belong to and everything else. You know, our, God gave us certain talents and gifts. We use them to the best of our ability to help, you know, bring his kingdom to this earth and do the best we can. With it. And uh, uh, I I've learned so much, Brad, over the years. It's been helpful to me. But my spiritual life has me through so many different things. And now I'm at, I, I'd like to think, you know, one wow. of the things I think we didn't talk about that good teachers, uh, characteristic good teachers, they're lifelong learners. They're always trying to learn. You know, we had a sign in our locker room. You might remember as we went out to the practice floor above the door. When you're through improving, you're through. Well. Nick wanted us to remember that as players, like every day of practice, get out there and get better, right? But that applies to all of our aspects of our lives, including our spiritual life. So I'm trying to improve in that area of my life, always trying to get better. And, and I'm starting to see things, I think, hopefully a more mature Christian outlook on everybody. Man, the, Jesus is the one we're supposed to follow. It was all about love. It wasn't about the contempt hatred dualism of us versus them today he reached out to the others the oppressed the lepers of his time and so i'd like to think i try to
0: besides the bible what uh what book has left the lasting impact i know it's going to drive you crazy because you're a reader yeah is there one that really
1: i no, i will tell you um uh, maybe more than one book. There's several authors that have made a huge impact, and I've loved reading their books. Uh, uh, I, I tell you, one of the most recent books that made an impact. I, re- I just read the Tony Bennett's autobiography, mm. and he just passed away yeah, last good. week. And man, a fascinating man! And I love listening to his music when I'm cooking, and I cook now, Did it for my wife. I do all the cooking now. I love As you that. should. Uh, yeah, I, I should. It's right a little, it a little bit of payback but uh the i like to play tony bennett music uh smooth jazz and so on for so that but, but the authors i read uh that have made an impact on me uh are maybe more so than uh a particular book uh father basic has written over a dozen books i've read them all i got them all i've read a couple of them more than once uh and they've really helped me in my life uh I have every book Louis L'Amour has ever. Read. Louis L'Amour is a great Western novelist. I love Western novels. I have every book, and I've been through them all twice now. My sixty-five years here on earth. I uh, got. I got one. I want one more tour of Louis L'Amour's before I, I'm done. Uh, I, I'm now collecting Zane Grey books. I've. I've got all, not every James Michener book. Again, these are authors of you know yesteryear a little bit, but Michener man. His books he wrote uh, were 1,000-page historical novels that were phenomenal. Now, he had a team helping him, but as a writer of three books, that is hard. I mean, that's some work involved in that, and he's a bunch of them, uh, and they're terrific. So I like that, you know, and I I read the Bible every day. That's where I go to get my spiritual nourishment. And, you know, as as each phase of my life, I'm seeing the Bible through different eyes now, you know, and, and I hope I am. I think that's what Jesus intended. You know, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. It doesn't work. And so I keep looking at it in different, uh, through a different set of eyes, and I think it's growing better. You know, through the uh, my children, and you. I know you face this too with your children, you know, you learn so much that it's hard because you're trying to teach them, and it's emotionally, you know, challenging and everything, but you learn so much. And, and now I see them as adults and just, you know, they're all doing great, all doing a great job, but they're all different. And so the, the, not one book, but I, I do have to tell you that one thing Father Racy said to me probably 15 years ago, we were having lunch in the Door Street Cafe, his, his officer, and he was talking about his mup, and he said this, I know, to you as well and others, that one of the things he learned from his mother is that she loved us children as we were. And man, that hit home with me. Because my three are all different. They have their different quirks and outlooks and goals and missions and passions in life. And I've learned to love them as they were as they are. Um, you know, my oldest has two boys, and she's married to a football coach, and it's a different life. And our middle daughter, that's Jenny, our middle daughter, Rachel, is married to an accountant, and they have three little boys. And talk about busy, those boys are 8, 7, and 5. She didn't get married till she was, what, probably 29, and so they wanted to have children right away. Well, they did. <laughs> and, and so she's, and Danny, our youngest, is now 30. He's gay. And Danny came out a while ago. It didn't surprise us. And I've learned so much from Danny. And I know I'm a better human being and I'm a better Christian uh, because of Danny. And, uh, you know, he's, he's gay. He is who he is. And I love them as they are. In my opinion, it's how I made him. And my job is to love him as he is and support him. And and And, and I've learned so much from that. Over the years, so,
0: uh, you know, how did, I, how did that conversation go?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a great question.
0: Because you, you had yet an idea. Yeah, certainly we did. He went through high school.
1: You know, he dated some girl in high school, and and he asked. Of course, they always talk to their mother this stuff. They never talk to me. I get this through through yep. mom through Terry. And she said one time he asked her. He goes, "You know, when I kiss Patty, am I supposed to feel something?" Uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> I remember then. Um, And, you know, he just, he couldn't figure out when the guys at school would talk about girls, you know. It's a good-looking girl, and they were talking about, what are they talking? And so we had some idea, uh, but he came out one night, late at night, uh, whatever late is nowadays, midnight. (laughs) He came home, and uh, uh, we were in bed, and he woke us up. And he came in the door and woke us up. Turned the light on. And he says, Mom, "Mom, Dad, I need to talk to you." It's okay. Everything's okay. <laughs> he he immediately said, "It's all right. Everything's all right." Because we're scared to death. And you know, I have a CPAP machine. I have sleep apnea, and I'm scrambling and I'm done doing this thing. And and he sat down on the bed and he said, "Mom, Dad, I'll tell you, I'm gay." Okay. And I I I came out with a couple of our friends tonight who knew, but I finally admitted it. He said, and I, and I didn't want to go any further without having this conversation with you guys because some young lady was hitting on him, she, <laughs> and, and he had to tell her. He says, oh, "Thank you, that's nice, but okay. And he came home and he sat on her bed, and we we sat there for about an hour. And uh, Terry, my wife, is a nurse, you know, and she's just wonderful. And she handled great, gave him a big hug. We assured him, "Son, we you're our son. We love you, yeah. and we'll support you uh, in any way we can." and uh uh i said after about an hour okay let's go to bed we'll talk about it in the morning that's in the middle of the night and and we did have some good conversations about his time has gone but that was to, to us now he's got uh his partner zach is a great human being uh and we're thrilled our son has companionship mm-hmm. he's got somebody in his life That was that was that be, then that became our worry is he going to be alone his whole life It's going got you know and uh it's been wonderful. His sisters and, and, and brothers-in-laws have been phenomenal. And so they're just part of the family.
0: And Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That is really great. Thank you for
1: great. asking. Appreciate it.
0: Uh, so I, um, you mentioned music. You, Tony <laughs> Bennett. So let me, uh, you know, music for me is, univ- is a universal yeah. language. And for yeah. every guest, this is, these are standard questions. So if you yeah. are willing, we'll try to create a musical soundtrack of your life. Can we do Let's that? Let's do it. All uh, right.
1: I've never had this done before, but I'd be happy to do it.
0: You've been interviewed a lot, so that's, that's a big statement. And, and I love music. I can't sing real well, but I do love I'm music. I'm not going to ask you to sing. Please don't. Okay. That
1: would not go over well.
0: All right. What about a song that reminds you of your high school days?
1: Yeah, that, that, that's an easy answer. Take It to the Limit by the Eagles. My senior year in high school, when we were making this run to the state championship. That was the number one hit. Take it to the limit, and you know that I didn't know all the words. I wasn't right. one of those guys that memorized all the lyrics. You know, I right. couldn't, but I knew that. Take it to the limit one more time. admit that and, was that's very fitting for a state run, right? Oh, fantastic! I'll never forget. Every time I hear that song, and man, it takes me to no memory takes lane. It right back. It's
0: awesome. Yeah. Tim, what about a, an artist or an album that you yeah. played the most up until now?
1: Well, I. Uh, I don't know if it's an artist, but a genre would be Motown, without a doubt. When Terry and I met, I had these cassettes. <laughs> we would listen to the Temptations and, and uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And, you know, uh, so without a doubt, Motown. But, you know, the 60s and 70s, I tell people this all the time, my friends and I. We, we tried to come up with our top 20 songs every. and it's really hard to do because I believed our era was the best era of music ever. And I know it's going to get argued. However, Those songs are still being played. Those songs are still played at every sports contest I go to. And the kids are singing along with them. They're great sing-along songs. And you don't sing along to their songs. We don't sing. They sing along to our songs. So I got to say the 60s and 70s. But the Motown, uh, I've been to Hitsville, USA, up there uh, on Grand River. Grand River, Yeah. yeah. And it's phenomenal. That was cool. That's really cool. And I'd encourage anybody to go to that if you love Motown.
0: Tim, what about a song that uh fires you up, gets yeah. your energy level going? Uh,
1: and that's another easy, easy answer. Uh there's no question the national anthem before a big athletics contest oh. is uh if you if your blood ain't flowing and your juices aren't flowing uh at that time now, oh, man, you need to get a you need to get a, <laughs> get a checked. You need to get checked out because uh I you know, I and I throughout my career as a player, as a coach, and as an administrator, I, I was there a lot of times, a lot of big games, and a lot of national anthems, and man, uh, the it couldn't get you ready for a game, it ain't half. Mm-hmm. So that that was without a doubt.
2: That
0: is a really unique answer, but that's spot on. I yeah. definitely understand what you're saying. Sure. What about a song that uh, chills, chills you out?
1: Um, again, I got to go to uh, Tony Bennett and Smooth Jazz, and this is real late, in the last several years. I, uh, you know, I... As I, I mentioned earlier, when I retired as athletic director, I told my wife, I'll I'll do all the cooking and I'll do all the laundry. You did all those years and raising the kids. I'll do it now. It's just a tool. It's, it's not quite as tough. But I've absolutely loved learning how to cook. I never would have guessed that, ever. And, man, I love it. I, I think it's problem solving. I got a recipe. I got to follow it. I create something and
0: boom. What's you your know? go-to entree?
1: Uh, oh, I, well, I think. What
0: are think, you proud uh, of? If, if you have guests coming over, what are you going to Put out
1: um well I, I i really grown to like different uh ways of uh salmon i i, I like baking in the oven it creates less smell because terry doesn't like salmon so i like to put different st- sauces in that on yeah. it and just create different uh, tastes on the salmon that meat and vegetables is vegetables i'm I'm getting pretty good at Different
0: it. Different spices and Oh, all that. and
1: I don't get too fancy with it, but my candied carrots, my uh, cauliflower on the grill with a little brown sugar and Italian seasoning is tremendous. Strong. But my broccoli, I, yeah, the key with greens is a little lemon, fresh lemon juice on near the end, right before you pull it out of the oven or, or the pan i
0: think i stuff. see your fourth book being some type of cookbook, cookbook. <laughs> i think, <laughs> I, I, think I see that. it I okay so while that. you're cooking though you have music yeah on. i i i digress yeah. so.
1: no no no. i i've i've gone to you know christmas time i'm playing christmas music but uh tony bennett i want relaxing music uh my wife turned me on to diana Krall mm. about five or six years ago and so diana Krall. uh i'll do uh uh tony bennett and and North smooth jazz. You know, my parents, uh, as they got older, they used to listen to 50s music. And they lived in Phoenix for quite a while. And there was a station out there that played 50s music. And they would have it on the little kitchen radio. And I kind of grew to like that. You know, as relaxing. And I was out there visiting on vacation usually. And and it was something different. And I know they enjoyed it. And I don't know, maybe that's why I like Tony Bennett. No, I'll tell you, the other reason I like Tony Bennett Coach Nichols was a huge Tony. I didn't know that? Oh yeah. So I had the great privilege not only of playing for Coach Nichols, who remains the winningest coach in the history of the Mid-American Conference of Men's, to this day. He retired in '86. He passed away in, in in 2011, I believe it was. He's still the winningest coach. But I not only played for him, I get to coach with him. So for three years, I would be in the car with him on recruiting trips. All right, and and I. Talk about picking his brain. I'm telling, he and you know, and he had stories, he, had <laughs> he could stories tell stories, but he always wanted to listen to Tony Bennett. And I grew up like Tony Bennett. I mean, he was a fantastic artist and, right. uh, and so on, but there were times on those late night trips back, I needed something other than Tony Bennett. <laughs> man, I'm dr- he made me drive, <laughs> he you know, he was tired, and I was a young assistant coach, I was the guy that had to drive. I can remember. Coming back from Traverse City or somewhere one time, and I'm fighting to stay awake. And I I can't coach, I gotta gotta change the channel (laughs) here. I can't listen to Tony Bennett.
0: Can we put the Eagles on at least? Yeah, right, exactly. Motown to keep you awake. All right, so you say you're not singing isn't a strength, but if you were forced to do Uh, a karaoke, a a song uh, in a karaoke situation, what would that be?
1: Well, I would first of all avoid it uh, because I would be great at it. Uh, I've had to on a couple of occasions, perhaps
0: is there wait a minute is that pre-video there's no yeah there's no video thank goodness
1: yeah that's probably problem. i would never do it cause Somebody's somebody's video and put it out there yeah. but i would say if you really twisted my arm i could do take me out to the ball game with the best of them. okay
0: all right <laughs> that that works that works uh what about concerts are you in the concerts yeah. do you have a memorable one i do have a memorable one um i
1: I've been to a good number of concerts over the years, but not. I'm not a concert goer. I have some friends who just go to concerts yeah. all the time, and, and they're my music experts. You know, I, I give them my thoughts on music, and they kind of poo-poo it because I'm not that guy. I don't have a collection. You know, for me, it's Pandora. Yeah, I'm yeah. fine with Pandora right. and everything else. But the one concert I went to was the John Denver concert in Centennial Hall, which was the name before Savage Hall. John Denver came in. And he sang for three hours straight. Yeah. And he gave his band a break in the middle and he kept out there in solo yeah. with his guitar. And I love his music, you know, Take Me Home Country Roads is yeah. still that's it. There's a, a sing along yeah. for you. All right. And some of the others are memorable. But even the ones that aren't, you know, you could tell this guy's talented with this guitar and the way he sang. But I was impressed with he didn't stop for thirty three hours. I can't remember if we had bottled water then or not, or he had a glass of water or something. He just kept kept singing. And afterwards, I thought, I don't know if I'm a big John Denver fan, but, man, I'm impressed with it. That dude gave us his money's worth, or our money's worth, for his effort. So I appreciate it. Uh,
0: One of my beliefs, Tim, is that everyone should have a walk-up song or a walk-in song. Yeah. Uh, What would that be for you?
1: Um, You know, I don't know if I would have one. If everybody else is having one, I want to stay focused on hitting the baseball and just go up the bat and let the audience figure out, hey, this guy doesn't have a song? No, man, he's he's focused. He's locked in I'm getting a hit. That that would probably be my approach. But if, if I had to choose one, I guess you would say, you know, I've, I spent my career of 35 years in higher ed, two institutions, the University of Toledo and Grand Valley State University. So I would want the UT fight song mm-hmm. or the Grand Valley fight song played wherever the occasion it's appropriate, because they're, they're they're two greatest fight songs out there. There's a lot of good ones out there, but they're my favorites. So that that would be my favorites. I don't know if that's walk that's not walk up yeah, music.
0: It could be. That, that's a great hat tip to two great institutions. Yeah,
1: yeah, they were great to me. Man
0: couple last ones. This has been wonderful, my friend. Uh, what What are you most proud of?
1: Oh, my family. Um, there's no question.
0: Just, you know,
1: the, well, Terry and I have been married for 41 years. That's something I'm proud of, right? Um, no question about that. Three kids, five grandkids? Uh, three kids and five grandkids. And, you know, it's just, and it's hard now. The, kid, the grandkids are getting older. They get involved in everything. So getting everybody together at once is getting more and more challenging, as I know. But that, you know, that's the lasting stuff. You know, I think one of the things, Brad, in my career, I always wanted to, I always thought long-term. I And I, I didn't want to be a one-hit-one. I wanted to build programs that lasted. I want to build a career that lasted. And that's the one thing about a family that lasts. They're with you through the thick and thin, through the good times, whether you Whatever achievements you get in life, your family is there. And uh, and nothing is greater than being the role of grandparent. Nothing. For sure. The term joy, I say that that, that, in the dictionary, joy, derived from being a grandparent. A grandparent (laughs) invented this word because it's it's the greatest thing.
0: What inspires and gives you hope?
1: You know, I... The one thing I always tell people that uh, as we're getting older and we, we hang around us older people a lot, we baby boomers. I'm a baby. Yeah. You're a baby boomer. I'm a baby boomer. You're we're on the younger end of the baby boomers. Well, baby boomers hang up, hang out, you know, and we're still the largest segment of our population. So there's a lot of baby boomers, a lot of this kind of discussion, the good old days, you know, and, and I think that's common in any generational thing, you know, oldest generation, wants life to be like, because they don't remember the tough times. They remember the good stuff, sure. right? And life doesn't work that way. It's not, it, life moves on. We're in the technological age, man. We're talking about AI, right? Now. You know, yeah, it's scary to us older people, but it's there. You know, deal with it. You know, everything, internet, crap, we had to go through the internet for careers, social media. Well, we survived it. You know, there's evil in it, but there's a lot of good in it, too. Find right. the good. Find the good in, in the AI, right? And so I, I you know, um, I'm losing uh, my, my my thoughts here, but I, I would say that um, college students always inspired. They're not perfect. You know, as I tell people, we didn't have, uh, we had 600 student athletes in our athletics programs like Grand Valley. They weren't all Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and perfect little angels, but man, we were good kids and are good kids. And the vast majority of them are good kids. They, You know, uh, another phrase I learned my first year of teaching at Springfield High School. You mentioned it at the beginning. I learned a lot there. My first job, teaching six classes hard, of math. Very different. Very hard. And, uh, man, but what I learned, one of the things our principal at the time at Springfield High School was Jake Prentice. Jake was a successful football coach at Maumee High School that, and that, one in administration. He would tell us at, at faculty meetings. Under the proper leadership, they will respond, and he was right. Sometimes you got to work to find the right leadership, the right teaching technique, right? But they will respond. And college kids that I was around always inspired me because, man, I they did great things. And I always used to, I always tell my older friends now, hey, we're in good, world's in good hands. Oh, no, but these young people, they're doing this, they're doing that. Hey, don't worry, they'll get it, they'll be fine, because our grandparents talked about us that way. You know, <laughs> sure. that rock and roll. That evil rock and roll stuff that we listen to, right? So, you know, I I think that the college students, but, but I find inspiration too from, from various people now. We've mentioned Father Basic numerous times, uh, in this uh interview. Uh Richard Rohr, I find great uh, you know, and, and I've done a lot more reading on Francis of Assisi in recent years because Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest and kind of Man, he did a lot of things right about loving people, and uh, you know that's the way it ought to be.
0: Last one, Tim. How do you want to be remembered?
1: I hope that's a long ways away yet they start thinking yes. about me. Yes. <laughs> as as remember, I, I you know I hope I, I hope people remember me as, as somebody that just did absolute best he could with it. Give some gave Scott. When I was done with my playing career, that moment, again, the when we lost to Florida State under the shower, it hit me. You know, you did the best you could. Yeah. And that was a good feeling. And I wanted to try and achieve that. I can remember when I my first day on job in college athletics, when I, I taught at Springfield one year and then Coach Nix hired me back on his staff. And Terry and I got back from our honeymoon. I got out of my car, and I'm walking in the then Centennial Hall to my office for the first time. And I remember telling myself, dude, go help those student-athletes have the great experience you. Hmm. It wasn't always an easy experience. It was a great learning experience. And I thought that all along my career as an administrator. And at Grand Valley, my goal is to help them have the best experience possible. And if you just do that, you're going to be perfect. It's not going to go right sometimes. Yeah. you're gonna screw up, I screwed up, things go wrong, and but that's what you're there for as as a teacher as a leader to to help right the ship and get us back on track again and just stay focused on the fundamentals and do the best you can. so I guess that's a
2: summary right?
0: that's a great great way to be remembered yeah. and Tim, I have to tell you that I know you really well, forty years, I learned a ton about you in this conversation. <laughs> And uh, your stories and your insights, um, I think, are going to resonate with people listening. Whether you're in current leadership roles, aspiring, or if you're just interesting in just the humanity. And you really gave us Mm -hmm. a really nice glimpse of everything. And, you know, Tim, you, um, that impact of making a great experience for collegians, you know, you did that for me when I was a freshman. Uh, throughout my career, you dropped me notes. I found a couple of them as, <laughs> during my research here. I kept, and they're always very empowering and very uh, thoughtful, um, but you did that uh, for me, uh, and you did that for hundreds, thousands of young people and and coaches, and just thanks for showing yeah. us showing us the way. And- well, thanks for having me. This is so
1: much fun, Brad, and you, you're tremendous. As you know, I've told you, I know. I've listened to your your podcasts all the time, and you're just really good at this uh, interviewing thing. Thank you. And I, you know, as I tell people, my clients, you know, I've been so fortunate. I've I've met so many great people. And golly, I it's my job to share. It's my job to share stories, and you know, I love as tell I love talking and sharing stories, and. My wife has heard them all numerous times. Of course, she rolls her eyes at
0: some of them. We'll give Terry a pass. But, uh, she doesn't have to listen yeah, to this. Yeah, she right. doesn't have to listen
1: to it. But uh, but my clients, I tell them, hey, you need stories, I got them. I can tell them just about anything. I didn't have to. I wasn't a leader during a pandemic. But my, I think my mission now, when I, when I entered my second career here as a consultant, author, speaker guy, is just simple mission, help others. And what, what can I do to help others? And if I will do, find great reward in that. Man, I have. It's been fun man. This has been fun. I hope this is helpful to somebody out there. And and I I just want to be able to be of help to people. I think it's Francis of Assisi.
0: You very much are, my friend. Thank you, thank you for doing this. It's been great. Thank you, Brad, appreciate it.